Coming up on This Week in Games, Facebook hires digital theme park employees. Gaming BC is alive and well with LVP raising $80 million in its 2020 to big year of AR board gaming. Maybe not. <laughs> Coming up This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and <laughs> this was a busy week. Busy, busy week. I'm truly shocked by the number of fundraising and acquisition rounds that happened this week. I don't know what it is. Um, maybe companies are bored. Maybe we have too much money in the economy. You know, who knows? But let's kick it off. Um, first up, the holding company for John Carmack's genius, Facebook. Facebook announces Facebook Horizon. So Facebook announces basically, I, I don't know, like a virtual pr- playground at OC6. And it's kind of just like, you know, you have your VR avatars. It's a playground for players. You run around and do like zany stuff and pilot ships. And I don't know. I, I watched the trailer. I can't even tell you what it's for. Um, you know, eventually they want to give away UGC tools. So players create the worlds and content themselves, a la, I guess, Roblox of some sort. And, you know, whatever, they announce this thing. This isn't what really is grabbing headlines this week. The headline grabber is that Facebook is actually hiring human guides that will basically act like theme park attendants or theme park staff members. So they'll be there to answer questions, suggest activity, fight toxic behavior, kind of the digital equivalent of that Disney employee you see sweeping up puke after kids eat too much sugar on a hot summer day. Um, These guides are actually... I'm going to say extremely innovative. Like, you know, I really like the idea, though it's not scalable because, you know, a theme park only lets in so many people a day. It's easy to plan for how many physical employees you need there, whereas a digital space have little marginal costs for expansion. So, you know, it could have way too many employees per theme park attendant. Um, I still think it's cool. It's a cool differentiator. It makes sense. It's kind of like where this digital space really is going, which is like modeling after physical space. And this could lead to a lot of innovative things. Like what is the equivalent of people dressing up in Mickey Mouse and goofy costumes and MMOs? Or you could hire like really hardcore role players in WoW to be townspeople in WoW, a la kind of like Greed Island from Hunter Hunter for everyone who loves anime as much as I do. But yeah, I mean, this, I honestly think this is a first step because, you know, like I, I, I went back to WoW after, God, I don't know, like five years or something, and the game hasn't changed. It's actually gotten more, less, uh, it's just like itemized. It's just, hey, go get this item, go do these daily quests. After you do enough of, enough of them, you can get this other item. And now they even put a number representing your overall stats called your item number. So WoW's kind of gone backwards. I really think the way forward now is to hire like full-on RP people and live out like actual experiences in the game, kind of like you do at theme parks or you go to haunted houses. Like I think there's just a gap in you know, what NPCs can provide. And I think real people can bridge that gap. I mean, obviously you have to figure out how much it costs to have these people and have the LTV of the player be higher than that, blah, 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 blah. But this is cool. I think it'll take off. (laughs) I want to see this in more games. Um, Yeah, let's keep it up. Next up, Nielsen partners with the ESL and DreamHack for esports analytics. So 
Old TV data monopoly Nielsen, mostly known for installing boxes on TVs to get demographic data back in the day, is pivoting to esports analytics and has partnered with two of the biggest leagues. So Nielsen will be running sponsor validation brand impact and consumer analytics for ESL and DreamHack. This will let esports leagues quantify everything from, I don't know, like how much a logo on a t-shirt is really worth to like which player on each team generates the biggest reaction from fans so you can hire them to be your like sponsor for crap, I don't know. <laughs> My real question is, what is Nielsen providing ESL and DreamHack? Because in this day and age, like data is worth more than gold. So why are you letting Nielsen in on the treasure chest of esports data, you know? Nielsen has notoriously struggled to keep up in the digital age, and they've been paying top premium dollar for modern digital analytics companies, which is what led them to kind of acquire our game industry gold standard super data. <laughs> I feel like analytics software is a borderline commodity these days, and it's surprising that esports leagues aren't either rolling their own analytics platform or paying for any of the hundreds of services that will do everything for you, but not keep the data and sell it off themselves. So the problem is, let me break it down. The ESL and DreamHack have tons of data. This data is worth a lot of money, okay? There are a lot of companies that will provide you everything you need and do it for you so that like roll all the analytics for you so that you can look at your own data and you can sell it advertisers and you can optimize based on the data. But if you let Nielsen in, Nielsen isn't going to just, they're going to do it. They're going to give you some of the data, but they're going to keep a lot of it for, for themselves. And then they're going to go to your competitors with that data and make money off of your data. And I, it just doesn't make sense to let Nielsen in. Like why, you know, like, it's like you have something that's valuable and you're letting in someone who doesn't bring value in on the treasure chest. I don't I don't get it, uh, but whatever. We'll have to see. I mean, Nielsen does own Superdata and Superdata is the gold standard, so we'll just have to see. All right, next up, venture capital firm London Venture Partners finishes $80 million fundraising round for game startups. So LVP, one of the few VC firms that puts aside funds to focus solely on games, finished fundraising for its third game startup fund to the tune of $80 million. Now, third, okay, that's a big number because LVP is known for investing in Supercell, Natural Motion, Playfish, Unity, and a bunch of other game companies. Clearly have hit a big return on investment. That's why they need a third fund. Uh, with a lineup like that, makes sense. So if you're a gaming startup looking for Angel, Seed, Series A, anything early, now you know has a big wallet full of bets they're willing to take, so hit them up. <laughs> and, you know, not for nothing, like London Venture Partners comes up a lot on this show. So hit them up. Um, I'm sure they're probably mostly looking for platforms or services, as that's the flavor of VC we're in right now. But maybe, maybe some game companies that prove that they have special differentiators will get some of that VC money as well. You never know. All right, this is a pretty big story. So famous AR hardware developer Jerry Ellsworth launched a new Kickstarter and raised over $500,000 in its first day. Now, Jerry Ellsworth is known for co-founding Cast AR, but she first appeared on kind of like my radar when she and the rest of the AR team at Valve was dismissed but allowed to keep the technology that they developed. So Valve had kind of a hardware lab. Um, Ellsworth was a part of the team there. Valve dismissed everyone, but allowed them to keep actually the technology they developed without Valve owning any of it, which is pretty interesting. Uh, Ellsworth and a lot of the team went on to form Cast AR, 
Um, but now Ellsworth has created a Kickstarter for AR glasses to focus on board games where players wear AR glasses and, you know, see digital effects or pieces on the board games. They claim this unlocks single-player board games, a.k.a. video games, I guess, local multiplayer, which is where you see the best payoff, and network board games, which, again, goes back to video games more than uh, any type of board game paradigm. Their timeline is June 2020 for first shipments, and I don't know. Like, I really want this to work, but consumer AR just hasn't happened yet. It's so expensive. It's so hard to do. And it's really telling to me that Valve let the team go with the technology, and then Cast AR actually failed because their Series B fundraising failed, and investors pulled out back in 2017. So it's not good signs. And now we're at Kickstarter, and Kickstarter isn't exactly like a <laughs> Kickstarter isn't exactly an incubator known for forcing you know consumers or developers to release high quality products on the timeline they said they would release them. I don't want to kill the dream before I can see what the team can actually deliver, but damn, this is this is hard to believe in. Um, I don't know if I can trust the Kickstarter campaign for a consumer product like this. Like, we haven't seen consumer AR yet, and, you know, a Kickstarter campaign is the l lowest totem pole on the trust spectrum. But I'm cheering this on. I'll follow up on the release. More than anything... VR really has going for it. AR for local board gaming is an easy and compelling win. I would regularly use it um, if it was compelling enough. I just think the cost of AR is just too expensive, and board games are already there because, for the most part, they're cheaper experiences, and you want that analog experience. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to shit on this, but it all the signs point the bat. <laughs> I'm sorry. Next up, Manicore Games raises $30 million for a new platform. Now, this is yet another weird story. I've seen Manicore Games around Silicon Valley for over a year now, and I never really knew what they were working on, right? Um, they formed around the end of 2017, and then kind of radio silence until June-ish 2019. They've just finished raising a Series B to the tune of $30 million. And this is on top of their initial Series A for $15 million. So that's $45 million. They're in the hole. They've been around for two years, don't have a product yet. They make an announcement this week, and their product is still a mystery. They're calling it Core Platform. Core has no concrete selling points other than, quote-unquote, making games and development accessible and easy which effectively means nothing to me. I don't even know what the hell that means. And what does core platform mean? Is this a digital store? Is this a platform like Spatial OS? Is this a game engine? Is this a bunch of services? Is this tools? Like, the fuck is core platform? When Manicore was formed, I remember their focus was on multiplayer technology. Now it almost sounds like they're building a digital store with an array of services into that digital store. And honestly, it just, again, it's a bunch of red flags. We have no product. They've been around for years. They're using the worst ambiguous lines like easy and accessible um i and just like the previous story i i have to hold my judgment for an actual product reveal but it's hard when you're expecting 45 million dollars worth of easy and accessible <laughs> so i don't know i don't know what to tell you guys uh not good um they have a good team um very experienced people i just i don't know what they're building and you know, I'm going to get to it later. There's plenty of acquisitions and plenty of cons consolidations going on in the game industry and services space that 
they have a lot of competition, so we'll have to see what uh, Core Platform actually turns out to be. All right, next up, Google announces PlayPass, a subscription service that was basically sloppily put together. So Google, on a mission to look as desperate as possible, throws together a sloppy $5 a month subscription service of their own called PlayPass. This is obviously to compete with Apple Arcade. Um, Apple Arcade is $5 a month, hundreds of premium games that were made just for Apple Arcade and are exclusive to Apple Arcade. Unlike Apple Arcade, um, PlayPass gives you five-year-old premium games that most players already have. None of these titles are exclusive to PlayPass, exclusive to Google Play, or even exclusive to mobile for that matter. Like Most of them are multi-platform releases and uh, have been around for years. To beef up the number, Google also throws in a bunch of premium apps um, and somehow gets to the number of 350 premium games and apps for PlayPass. It's just really sad. Like, I hate when companies do this. I truly despise it. Like, it just it reads desperation all over. Like, I don't know. What are you doing? What are you doing, Google? All right, let's move on. Next up, Logitech acquires Streamlabs for $89 million. So, GameIndustry.biz is reporting that hardware and peripheral company Logitech has acquired streaming tools and service company Streamlabs for $89 million with... Another $29 million payout if revenue goals are met. Always great to see. Um, That's a lot of money. (laughs) Reading the press statement, this is more of a diversity play in acquiring complementary verticals to Logitech's hardware company. Now, at first, you're like, why the fuck is hardware company Logitech acquired in Streamlabs? Uh, I guess you can say this is a smaller version of Apple's kind of service pivots. If you remember, Apple made most of their money off device margins, so they'd sell an iPhone for whatever, $1,000, it really cost them $500 to make. They laughed that they made luxury tech brands. Then kind of devices weren't getting the paradigm shifting updates anymore. People weren't updating their phones as much. People weren't rebuying devices much. So Apple pivoted to say they're now focusing on services. So Apple needs complementary revenue streams in the form of services. So they acquired development services. Logitech's probably the same thing. Like, how often are you buying a new keyboard or mouse now that we've hit, like, peak esports? Um, Logitech just needs alternative revenue streams. So now that you have this hardware, Logitech can offer you software and services that complement that hardware. So, I don't know. Good good acquisition. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. Good job, Logitech. Next up, Improbable acquires the multiplayer guy. So, Improbable, mostly known for the developer of Spatial OS, but now slowly acquiring... I don't know, other services and even developers at this point has acquired multiplayer service specialist, the multiplayer guys. I actually really like the multiplayer guys business plan. I've never used them, but they set up and code multiplayer for developers and help you with that whole process. Multiplayer is notoriously annoying, especially if you're a developer who isn't experienced in it. Um, and even more, especially if you're a multi-platform release. So if you're releasing on steam, Epic game store, Um, PlayStation, Xbox, and Switch, all five of those have their own multiplayer matchmaking services that you have to customize uh, your code to. I remember reading the developers of Skullgirls talking about how difficulty matchmaking actually was on console, and it took a very, very large chunk of development to get their initial PlayStation release matchmaking online uh, working. 
So there are some synergies, I guess, between Spatial OS and its distributed kind of computation technology and multiplayer and gaming in general, but damn improbable. Like, you're on an acquisition spree lately. It's out of control, to be honest. Improbable is looking more to become a competitor to Unity and Epic's Unreal soon. Likely a reaction to Unity kicking Spatial OS off of its supported services and drama that went down last year, but Improbable likely is going to be a very big service player in the next year. I mean... Spatial OS is great technology, it just wasn't adapted probably to the tune that Improbable thought it was, but it looks like they're still doubling down on Spatial OS by taking a long-term bet with it. And what I mean is, Spatial OS is maybe, what, like five years off from becoming integrated into all games? Let's say that's their bet. They're acquiring a bunch of service companies that pay off now that synergize with Spatial OS so it can get them to that five-year bet. And... Honestly, I'm really curious at this point if they're looking to release or acquire a game engine of their own. Like, what if they bought Godot? Or what if they bought, you know, some of these, like, I'm not going to call them second tier because Godot is uh, pretty high quality from what I've seen. But, you know, like, they're not Unity. They're not Unreal. They're not whatever the hell CryEngine and Lumberyard are. But they're, like, second tier game engines that are powerful but don't have the kind of developer support yet probable probably looking at buying one of those at this point i mean they're buying everything else they might as well just complete the loop and own the entire developer experience all right next up immutable raises 15 million dollars for a blockchain tcg so blockchain is still netting developers some cold hard venture cash as australian studio immutable has finished a series a at 15 million dollars for a blockchain tcg named gods unchained Gods Unchained lead is Chris Clay, who is the director of Magic the Gathering Arena. That brings some legitimacy to their plan. Um, However, one of the lead investors explained that the true digital ownership is what drew them to invest in Immutable. And although I can see the argument more for TCGs than almost any other game genre, owning digital cards and making those cards contain monetary value is very tricky and requires a lot of execution that I'm afraid with a name like Gods Unchained or without the backing of Magic the Gathering or maybe World of Warcraft cards or Yu-Gi-Oh! or some other big name, it's going to be very hard to do. Um, And honestly, unless you expect those cards to be worth hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands of dollars, and to be traded constantly and for players to really like have second-party services to support trading and facilitating of, like, exchanges of these cards for monetary value. Blockchain technology just doesn't seem worth it. It doesn't seem to provide anything. Like, a simple centralized server would be fine to be authoritative over all these trades and cards. I don't know. It's hard. Like, it, it to me, it reads like someone who was making TCG who got interested in blockchain technology rather than blockchain technology solving an actual problem with TCGs. I could be wrong. Who am I? I'm just the guy making a podcast, but that's how it reads to me. And then the blockchain technology drew a bunch of investors who are still like crazy about that word blockchain. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Next up, Ubisoft opens a new studio in Vietnam. Da Nang, Vietnam will be the new location for a Ubisoft studio focusing on Insta games for social network, these are mostly HTML5 Canvas games that are quickly developed and deployed on Facebook Messenger and Snapchat games. Um, honestly, crazy to think that instant games are valuable enough for Ubisoft to create an entire new studio to focus on them. 
I mean, Vietnam isn't exactly known for employee wages, but still crazy that a big studio is just going to open a new studio to focus on those games. Maybe that's like a proxy for like how valuable those games actually are. Maybe they are generating revenue, and we don't really know about it because Facebook doesn't come out and say it. Hmm, something to think about. Last up this week, last story. Not a big one. Cappy Games co-founder and president Nathan Vela leaves after 14 years. So Cappy Games is known for indie hits, Super Brothers, Sword and Sorcery EP, Super Time Force, and below. Vela will remain in the game industry, but has yet to announce what his next project will be. Well, that's it. I'm Eric McConnell. That's This Week in Games. Um, pretty interesting week. There's a lot of money going around. Like, I swear to God, like, when I first started this podcast... VC like Series A and Series B fundraising was like two to five million dollars, and now we're consistently hitting the over ten million dollar mark. And you know, LVP raising eighty million dollars for a third gaming fund, and all of this stuff. It just shows me that there's so much opportunity in the game industry. There's so much money going around that if you have a dream, now's the time to do it. If you want to make a game, if you want to make a service, if you want to make a platform, if you want to make a product in the game industry, I think now's the time to do it. There's so much money going around. You guys can do it. That's my like speech very lazily telling you to chase your dreams, but go do it, guys. I mean, game industry right now on fire. That's it for this week in games. I'm Merritt McConnell. Come back next week. We'll do it all over again. Take care. Bye.